Welcome, First Friends Church family. Today, Pastor Nathaniel is leading us through our end of summer series titled Summer in Psalms. We are so glad to have you tuning in because here at First Friends Church, we live to glorify God together by loving Him, making disciples, and proclaiming the gospel. One of the best ways to strengthen our faith is by diving into the Word of God together during our Sunday gatherings. So if you don't have a church family, we would love to have you join us. All there is to know as you plan your visit can be found at firstfriends.org. Now let's go to our lead pastor, Nathaniel, with this week's message. That darkness actually helps with this opening illustration. A number of times when our sons were, were growing up, as is pretty common with kids, they would have nightmares. And in the night, Julie or I would awaken to them crying out, calling out. And one of us would go down to their rooms, and we never planned this. I don't think we ever thought through this. But the first thing we would say is, I'm here. It's okay, I'm here. And it was amazing how simply our presence could calm them and comfort them. And repeatedly over the whole arc of Scripture, God reveals Himself as one who is present to his people. The name that God chose for his son Jesus on earth, do you remember what it was, Emmanuel? Which is God with us. And when Jesus gave his disciples, and by extension us, all of his church, what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, the basis for all of that was his authority, but the foundation of it was his presence. Because he ends that commission by saying, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. As we continue to examine the truths of Psalm 23, today we're going to focus on the blessing of the shepherd's presence with his sheep. And the two verbs that we will look at are, and this is where it gets difficult, those verbs are, is, and comforts. And for the first time, as we look at verse 4, the order is reversed. And what I mean by that is that the effect is described before the verb itself is mentioned. If you don't have a hard copy Bible with you this morning and you would like to borrow one to follow along, the ushers are coming back down the aisles now with some copies. And if you just catch their attention, they'll give you one. And if you don't own one, please receive this one as a gift from us here at First Friends Church. The book of Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible, so if you have difficulty, don't know exactly where it is, just open it, open the book about halfway and you'll be close to or in the book of Psalms. And I'll be reading Psalm 23 again, as we have each week, and then we'll be focusing in on verse 4 specifically. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We'll start by looking at the first verbal phrase in verse 4. But again, since it occurs later in the verse, we'll start with it and then work backwards toward the beginning of the verse. Way back in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, Moses asks God who he is. And God responds by using a form of the verb to be. God calls himself, I am. When David says that God, David is the author of this psalm, when David says that God the shepherd is with him, it means that all of God's being and person are present to him. All that I am is, is with David, the author of the psalm. The shepherd is not partially or only part-time present to his sheep, he's fully present. And the shepherd's attention is never distracted, nor does it waver. Have you ever tried to carry on a conversation with someone who is doing something on their phone? How well does that work? Even for the greatest multitaskers, or those who claim to be incredible multitaskers, that doesn't work particularly well. And even if you are able to do it, the person that's trying to talk with you while you're on your phone does not appreciate it. Even if you think, man, I've been totally coherent, I've heard everything they've said, I've responded to every question they've asked, your attention is divided. I remember my mom and I, when we used to talk on the phone, both of us would always try to do other things while we were talking, and we would both try to catch the other person doing it. So, um, you know, I'd be talking to my mom, and she would, I would say something, and there would be the pause before her response was just a little bit too long. My mom, what are you doing? No, nothing, nothing. I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, I, I, I can hear the clicking of the computer keys in the background. You're doing something. And we imagine that the shepherd, God, having billions of people to whom to be present, and then we perhaps can imagine ourselves getting lost in that shuffle. That God's attention is somehow divided and that, yeah, he, he might sort of vaguely be aware of me, but he's not truly present to me. But God is the only being who can monotask while multitasking. He can be fully present to an infinite number of his sheep simultaneously. All who God is, is present to you if you're a sheep of his flock. There are going to be a number of kind of plays on words today, so here's another one. One of the greatest presents the shepherd gives is his presence. I want you to note something about a change in David's address in verse 4. Until now, David has spoken about the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Right. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. But do you see the change in verse 4? As David hypothetically enters the darkest valley, he now speaks to the shepherd. Not about, but to. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is sort of the mental picture I get when I, as, as I get to this point in the psalm. 
It's a, it's a, it's a child that's walking hand in hand with, we'll say, the shepherd, with the Lord, right? So reaching up and holding the shepherd's hand. They're walking along. And the child, by the way, we're the child in this illustration, if anyone's unclear on that. And we are, we're talking and we're reciting, you know, the blessings of the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's almost as though David's writing this, and in the middle of writing this, he is overcome again by the fact that the almighty, transcendent Lord, Jehovah, is intimately with him. And his change in address from talking about the shepherd to talking to the shepherd emphasizes the presence of the shepherd with him. And the presence of the shepherd banishes fear. This is how we're working backward through. So, so you are with me, are, that verb are is a form of the word, of the verb to be or is. You are with me. What's the effect of that? I will fear no evil. And he expresses this as a clear cause and effect relationship. The effect is that he'll fear no evil. The cause is, this, is that the shepherd is with him. And we read these words, and they're wonderful. Psalm 23 is so comforting. But at the same time, we, we might examine our own lives and say, but this, is, this sounds really good for David. But the reality for me is that I do fear And once again, the tense of these verbs is very important because the presence of the shepherd is in the present. We've already talked about this as it relates to Psalm 23. It's in the now. And once again, just to reiterate that fear relates to something that has not yet happened. It may be imminent, but it's always future. It might be immediate future, it might be near future, but it relates to something that's still to come. And our fears generate from doubt. Doubt that if, if bad things happen, that we, doubt that we'll be able to endure it, to survive it or deal with it appropriately. Doubt that we'll have the strength to just survive it. And perhaps even doubt that God is merciful. Doubt that God loves us. Doubt in his goodness. Doubt that he's with us. And the psalmist David plays around with the verb tenses here, right? The bad things are future and hypothetical, even though I walk through the darkest valley. So even if I do, it's hypothetical, it's future, it's not right now. Even if I do walk, you are with me now, present tense. And the present presence of the shepherd is always the answer to future fear. 
So if danger or threat, suffering, challenge, failure, pain, disappointment come, and they will, the shepherd is there. And in those moments, he will provide for all that we need to face, what we must face. Yes, this is a call to the sheep, that's us, who belong to the great shepherd, to practice faith. Faith which affirms that when the valleys come, and they will, the shepherd will be with us then in that present, even as he is with us in this present, giving us what we need to face that reality, not before, not in advance, but in that moment. Faith is always the answer to fear, faith in the promise and presence of the shepherd. Now, as we continue to move backward through this verse, we've seen the presence of the shepherd that dispels fear in the sheep. But now we ask the question, where? Where or in what circumstances is this fear dispelled? So according to the psalmist, even in the darkest valley, he will not fear because the shepherd is with him. But I want you to look back one more verse. The previous statement, he refreshes my soul, he guides me along the right paths. And he, le- he guides me along those paths for his name's sake. So if the shepherd, let's work through this logically, if the shepherd is indeed guiding his sheep on right paths, and then the sheep have to traverse through the darkest valley, does that mean that the shepherd is no longer leading them or guiding them or that the darkest valley is not one of those right paths. And this is a truth that we need to learn to accept. We, we dealt with this also in First Peter, that idea of suffering, and that God, the shepherd, does at times lead us through suffering. So he does lead us into dark valleys, And just because the way is dark, hard, or painful, it doesn't mean that God has not led us there, and it does not mean that we're on the wrong path. This image that David's using here uh, is one that is attached to the geographical realities of the Holy Land, of, of ancient Israel and even contemporary Israel. There were deep, dark ravines that flocks occasionally needed to traverse on their way to pasture. And that's important to note, on their way to pasture. So they weren't led into these deep ravines or wadis as they're sometimes called. They weren't led into them simply for the, for the pleasure of the shepherd. It was for a purpose and a destination. Now, when we hear the term valley today, we usually think of valleys as beautiful and green, restful places. But in this case, David is talking about a very narrow defile dark paths with sheer cliffs on either side, paths in which there is very little sunlight, but still oppressively hot in the arid desert temperatures of some regions in the Middle East. To be down at that valley bottom is not a cool place to be. It's oppressively hot, humid at times, and full of hidden crevices, nooks, where snakes and other predators could hide, where sheep who were far from the shepherd could be harmed or attacked, or simply get stuck, 
break a leg or get trapped or have their wool catch on tight places. And those valleys were a far cry from the green pastures and the still waters beside which and in which the shepherd would make them to lie down. And I don't know how good, how good sheep's memory is. You know, there's that myth that, what is it, a goldfish, their memory only lasts like two seconds or whatever. Uh, I don't think that's true, but I don't know how you would even know. Uh, so, like, even with sheep, like, I don't know how good their memory is, but I, c- I can imagine that if they have the capacity of memory, that as they're down deep in this valley that is oppressively hot and dangerous and just barren, that they might forget the green pastures and the still waters that they've experienced previously and to which the shepherd is leading them again. But if the sheep were close to the shepherd, he could lead them through these valleys and protect them from all evil. The concept of the darkest valley might be a little different to our ears because we we might be more familiar with the phrase as it's been translated in other versions and other editions as the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. A literal translation of the Hebrew phrase would be uh, the valley of death shade. And while the darkest valley as it's translated here includes death as well, it encompasses any and all other figurative valleys that we face throughout our lives. The Bible describes death as the last enemy. It's the last, the final, the final antagonist that we will face. And even in times of greatest danger and desperation, so even in death, the shepherd is with his sheep. And it's important to note the preposition that David uses here. The sheep are walking through the valley. They're not walking to the valley. They're not even walking in the valley. They're walking through, and that's important. Suffering, even death, whatever that darkest valley may be, it's never the final destination for a sheep that belongs to the great shepherd. Don't doubt that. And even the concept of a shadow or death shade, what causes a shadow? What makes a shadow possible? It's light. Without light, there is no shadow. If tragedy or suffering or death is a shadow, it's because a bright light is shining beyond it. The light of eternity, the light of Christ for those who are his sheep shines beyond death shines through and during and beyond suffering. And the shadow of any dark valley is then cast over us by the light of our final destination as a shepherd leads us through to hope, healing, and glory. In every valley, even in the deepest one of death, the sheep of the great shepherd have nothing to fear because he is with them and he's leading them through, ultimately, to the green pastures and the still waters. Now, David completes this thought on the presence of the shepherd dispelling fear using a new verb, and it's the verb to comfort or comforts. And now we're skipping back to the end of the verse. 
Now, generally, we think of the word comforts and we imagine feeling better, right? That if I am comforted, I am made somehow to feel better. Your rod and your staff, they make me feel better. And while our feelings might be affected, what's being said here is so much deeper and so far greater. The English word comfort comes from the Latin, two Latin words, cum meaning with, and fortuto from the Latin for force or strength. So, and I realize I'm using an English word, but it has the same implications in Hebrew. Together, this word literally means, from its roots, with strength. The shepherd (laughs) with strengths his sheep. In the face of threats which would cause fear, the shepherd consoles them with his strength. I've talked before about my friends Delton and Glenn in Brazil. Like between the two of them, they could do anything that's useful to mankind. For those of you who are old enough to remember MacGyver, um, like the two of them together surpass anything that MacGyver could ever have done. They can build a car out of a blade of grass. And we would go, at times take our sons on, on camping trips or, or just sort of adventures. We had sons about the same age. And I was so far out of my depth on every one of those. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to go about setting up a camp. I didn't know how to rig a tarp. I didn't know how to do anything. But you know what? Delton and Glenn were with me. And I was comforted by their strength. I was like, I really don't need to worry about this. I do not need to worry because these two guys who I love and who I think love me were together in this and they can do it all. In fact, it was often, let let me help, no, you know, go pray for us, you know, (laughs) like just kind of get out of the way because we're gonna be able to do this far more efficiently if you're not helping. But I just, I knew their strength, and I knew their presence, and it consoled me, comforted me. And when I was a child, um, I had memorized um, several verses from Proverbs uh, that used the word rod in the King James Version. And both of those verses uh, involved discipline. So folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Or he that spareth the rod hateth his son, Proverbs 13, 24. Um, Now, I also think there's legitimate room for interpretation that the rod was not necessarily a physical rod, but I struggled to understand how these implements of discipline would bring comfort to me because I was equating this, this idea of rod from Proverbs with the idea of the shepherd's rod. But that's because I didn't understand how that word was used and understood in the context of shepherding. The rod would have been much more similar to a club, maybe a short wooden club with a rounded end. Shepherds would carry it. Sometimes they would embed bits of bone or rock or even metal in the end, in the head of that club. But the rod, here's the point, the rod used by the shepherd was not used on the sheep. 
It was used on and against threats to the sheep. So predators or anything that has had bad intentions toward the sheep. So that, that was a weapon in the hands of the shepherd of protection. It wasn't a weapon of discipline used against his sheep. It was a weapon used to protect his sheep. If we imagine the Almighty God standing over us with the rod of his protection, not to use on us, but set and ready to drive away all that would threaten our souls, isn't that a picture of comfort and strength? The strength of the shepherd on our behalf. I may have mentioned this before, but, you know, lived for six years in Texas, and, and Texas is Texas. It is different. And a very close friend of mine, um, his name's, I, I think I can say this on the live stream, his name's John Feist. He's a game warden. He was always prepared, I'll just say that. It was all, he's about six, I think he's six five, he's a big guy, and he's a hugger, which I really appreciated. I'm a hugger too. And every Sunday, we'd see each other at church, and Game Warden John would come give me a big hug, and I'd always feel the bulletproof vest <laughs> that he was wearing. It looked totally normal on the outside, and I, I knew there was something else that went with that bulletproof vest. And it was just, it was a feeling of security. Um, didn't make a big deal about it, didn't advertise it. But even in the context of that hug, it was like, I felt I felt comforted. Big John's here. His strength on our behalf. Now, the staff of the shepherd, on the other hand, was for the sheep. The club was for the enemies. The staff was for the sheep. And this is much more what we imagine when we think of that iconic shepherd's crook, um, the, the long staff with the rounded end. That's the idea behind the staff. It may not have looked exactly like that, but the shepherd would use the long staff to guide the sheep. So he might stretch it out and use it to keep a sheep from turning aside or from going down the wrong path, or even at times to help release them when their legs or wool might have gotten stuck in tight places. I think perhaps the best way that we can think about a staff a shepherd's staff today might be uh, guardrails. And a lot of us, we don't like the idea of guardrails, especially not guardrails that have been put up by somebody else. Why? Because guardrails keep us from going anywhere that we want to go. At the same time, a life without guardrails can be terrifying. My sister and brother-in-law were on a trip to the interior of Brazil with all their kids, and they had invited our son Ethan to go along with them. This was probably six years ago. And uh, I don't know how they got themselves into this situation, but they were trying to find their way to a bed and breakfast, and they ended up on this very narrow track, road, driving up with a sheer cliff on one side and another cliff wall on the other side. And they got about halfway up and they realized they were not going to be able to make it the rest of the way. And the road was extremely narrow. And I remember my sister relating the story. She and all the kids got out of the car. My brother-in-law had to back down this very narrow track. And here's the point, no guardrail. 
And it was terrifying. I heard their kids tell the story. I heard my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, my sister rather, they all relate the story from their own perspective. And it was terrifying for those watching. um, And of course, for my brother-in-law driving, because at any moment that just a slight miscalculation and that wheels over the edge. What comfort a guardrail would have been there. Even if it scraped up the side of the car, right? It would have kept it from plummeting off the edge. And I know that we often rebel against the guardrails of the shepherd. We resist his staff. But we do so to our own detriment. And the truth is that his staff brings comfort. Because we're not going to fall off the edge. He's not going to allow that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, says Paul, the apostle. His staff provides that guardrail that keeps us on the right path with him. So as sheep, we can follow the shepherd's lead with confidence, knowing that his staff will help to free us and keep us in those right paths. Now, before I leave this verb, I want to ask one last question. For what do sheep need strength? If to comfort means to with strength his sheep, why do sheep need strength? So no matter how fit and strong a sheep might be, that sheep's never going to be strong enough to fight off a wolf or to encounter a bear or to kill a lion. They'll never be quick enough to avoid a snake that's lying in wait for them. See, these things, they're all responsibilities of the shepherd. The strength that sheep need is the strength to follow the shepherd and stay close to him. That's the strength we need. And that's the strength that the the shepherd himself gives us. It's not his strength to go fight these battles by ourselves. It's not his strength to say, hey, go, go kill that lion. It's the strength to say, sheep, sons, daughters, children of the Most High God, stay close. Stay close. If you're close, my rod is going to take care of the lions and the snakes and whatever other threats there may be out there. My strength to you is for you to remain close to me because it's my strength, not yours. If the shepherd who fights for us He is the mighty one. He's the one with the rod and staff, and his rod and his staff give us the motivation we need to stay near him with our eyes on him, following where he leads when he leads. In this entire psalm, short though it may be, there are only two negatives. I want you to think about this with me. I lack nothing. That nothing, that's the first negative. The second negative is I fear no evil. The only two negatives. Lord, have mercy on your flock that we might embrace your provision and embrace your comfort. So what I want to leave you with this morning, and if if I could choose one, one thing, one concept for you to take with you, It's the idea of practicing the presence of the shepherd. 
A way that other theologians have worded this is to practice the presence of Christ. You see, He is with us. But do we live in that awareness? And part of that awareness is not something that just happens to us. It's an intentional discipline. So in the morning when I'm, I'm getting ready to leave the house, Julie might say something to me like, would you please remember to later in the day do such and such? And I say yes, and then I'm immediately like, like oh my, how am I going to remember to do that? So on the one hand, we can say, well, remembering, you just, just got to hope you do. Or we can say, there are a lot of aids to my memory that I could choose to make use of right now. So I'm going to put a reminder on my phone, or I'm going to put it into my calendar. I'm going to do something that's going to trigger me to remember to do what Julie asked me to do. So we talk about practicing the presence of the shepherd with us. There's some intentional steps that we can take creating a habit in us to talk to ourselves and to talk to the shepherd, just as, Pe- just as Peter, <laughs> still back in First Peter, just as, just as David does in the psalm, he talks to the shepherd. And what does he say? He, he says something to the shepherd that the shepherd already knows. He's not informing. We never really inform God of anything. But what does he say to the shepherd? You're with me. How often do we just say that to the shepherd? How often do we say that to Jesus? You're you're with me. And practicing that presence, practicing that, reminding ourselves, you're with me. You are with me. I am with you. Maybe it's something like creating a discipline where you get in the car to go somewhere and you take, you know, the first two, three minutes of that drive to pray. It's an idea, you know, before, before turning on music, before the podcast, uh, of course, unless it's the First Friends Church podcast. Um, but bef- before, before anything else, pray first, actually, even then, it's better. But creating um, these moments where we practice His presence. And we remind ourselves that He truly is with us. And because He is with us, He will guide us. And we have no need to fear because he is with us in the now. As we do each week, we're going to continue to worship our shepherd through music. And as we do, I just remind you, the altars are open. And it could be that there are some of you here that are actually quite far from the shepherd. Maybe you've been closer to him in the past, but you have strayed, or you've rebelled against his staff, rebelled against his guardrails. And, because, and, and that also means that you're now far from his, the protection of his rod. This morning is an opportunity to come back that strength that he gives us to return and to remain with him. And I would encourage you, if that's your context, if that's your situation, that you would actually put that into a physical manifestation as well by coming to the altar. 
That's not the only reason to come, I, and we're not going to assume, anyone who comes to the altar, we're not going to assume or try to figure out why they're here, but just it's an opportunity to come and, and come to the shepherd, celebrating the presence of the shepherd. And if you would like someone to pray with you or over you at the altar, you can come to this side. On the other hand, if you prefer to pray on your own, you can come to this side, and we'll respect that, and no one will disturb you. Sisters and brothers, let's stand. Let's worship close with our shepherd. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. One way you can connect further with First Friends Church is through our website, firstfriends.org. There, you can learn about our equip groups as well as our upcoming events for all ages. On Sundays, we gather at 9 and 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to see you there. Have a great week!